0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. For. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Jane Red. Captain Sisko. Wait a minute. torpedoes Engage. fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. Let's make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir.
1: I love that. It's, it's like Ohura is saying, Hailing frequency open, sir, to, to me. Like, I'm sir. I, I, I'm i not sir to her. Are you kidding me? She's, she's ma'am to me. Whoa. Welcome back. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And we are still in the early days here of the podcast. It's season one. We're still figuring things out as we go. I still don't know where all my buttons are. Um, I think this button here uh, doesn't do any damage. This doesn't hurt anything, right? Oh, my God. Oh, boy. All right. I ruined something there. This is um, a great time to be a Star Trek fan. As you know, it's very exciting. We we uh, Hopefully you listened to our episode with uh, Weird Al, which was a lot of fun. We have another guest on this show as well. We're going to have an exclusive chat with Adam Nimoy. But, and here's where it gets a little science fiction. It's almost like this is the menagerie. And what I'm referring to is the cage. Because... The uh, interview we're going to hear was actually from the past. It's from a few weeks ago. Adam Nimoy was in town, and we were still getting this podcast set up, and I said, you know, uh, if he's going to be here, I'm going to want to chat with him. So he didn't come in here to Deck 44. He came in. uh, I went to him with the mobile emitter. I borrowed it from the emergency medical hologram. I took the mobile emitter, and I went and chatted with Adam Nimoy because he was presenting the premiere of uh, his film, For the Love of Spock, his documentary, his Spockumentary, if you will, that um, was premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival in April. And now the film is um, still floating around. It's doing the film festival circuit. Uh, It's going to be playing at a lot of the Star Trek events this year. And eventually it'll be on Blu-ray and streaming and whatnot. And I do think that it's something that you should try to check out in a theater if you can, to see the high-def footage footage of the original series stuff in a theater is, is striking. The lighting is so gorgeous. Oh my God. So um, we're gonna chat with him in a moment. Um, and I do wanna say one thing because I wanna be honest with you, right? I'm an honest man. We're always honest in uh, on Deck 44. The um, interview that I did with Adam Nimoy, it gets better as it gets going, I promise you. Uh, at first, I had the mobile emitter, and there were so many buttons, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and I was concerned that I wasn't recording it right. So uh, the first five minutes are a mess, but then it gets really good. He starts talking about touring with the Grateful Dead, and his and and Leonard Nimoy wearing Paisley shirts and stuff. It gets a lot better as it gets going. You gotta trust me. You gotta trust me. So um, uh, I want you to listen to 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 that, and also, you know, Adam Nimoy is an interesting cat. I met him for the first time in Las Vegas last year so 2015 when he was shooting the movie uh, For the Love of Spock Um, and a lot of those scenes are in the movie and I was with him kind of all day one day because I I wound up writing um, an article about him for the LA Times which you can Google and and read and print out and tape up on the refrigerator and everything and um, uh, I was certain that I would end up in the movie and I didn't not exactly true my elbow is in the movie you can see my elbow in the film uh I don't know the exact moment but I know my own elbow which is weird because you don't really look at your own elbow that much but I still I can sense my own elbow on screen and I saw my own elbow in the film so that's exciting to me anyhow so we're gonna go listen to that uh we're gonna transport over there back in time a few months ago and then we're gonna come back and uh we're gonna do something a little bit fun a little bit about uh Leonard Nimoy and Spock because you know this is still one of the early um podcasts that we're recording and I want to get some of the basics covered and I want to make sure that we talk about Leonard and about Spock because Spock is at the end of the day you know really really a, a a key a key part of our of our galaxy. So what we're gonna do is we're going to open a channel.
0: Then the hurrah open a channel to all next.
1: Oh, and then we're gonna transport back in time. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities, talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast.
1: Okay, we have now done a slingshot around the sun, and we have gone back in time. We are now no longer in the time that you were in. We are now in mid-April in New York City in Lower Manhattan. It is maybe... Fifteen hours since the world premiere. Fifteen hours since the world premiere of "For the Love of Spock," and I'm sitting with the director, the only man who could have made this film. Um, not the only person, because your sister could have made it also, theoretically. Not that she's a filmmaker. In theory. Um, but the only man who could have made the film, Adam Nimoy. Welcome to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Thank you,
2: Jordan. It's great to be here.
1: All right. So. Um, Last night, I mean, you're working on this like a madman for a year, and then you're here, you you fly from Los Angeles to New York, and you show the movie, and the lights dim, and the first thing that goes through your mind is, wait, wait, we still have to fix this, we still have to fix that, or you're just ready to go and watch it?
2: Well, uh, that always occurs to me, that there's things to fix. There's always things to fix, and when we see it on the big screen, stuff gets blown up big time and and uh, the little uh, problems kind of get magnified and so I'm always keeping in my mind a little mental checklist of things that we're gonna try to tweak uh, once we get through the film festival circuit with the film Um, but I I was just trying to sit back and enjoy myself last night uh, and let the film kind of wash over me it's great to see it on a big screen we've never seen it on a screen really quite that big we've been in small theaters checking it Mm. Um, but it's it's really satisfying, and I just I, I just wanted to let myself relax because there's been so much anticipation leading up to the premiere.
1: Sure, sure. Well, it was a, it was a pretty packed house, and I think the reaction went really well. Personally, I don't think I'd ever seen the high definition uh, original series stuff in a theater before. I've seen Next Generation stuff because they were doing those fan screenings for a couple of years, but it hit me on like the third clip. No, was a close-up, a close-up of, of, of Bones doing something. And I'm like, man, to see this in the theater is such a trip because I've watched these episodes 400,000 times. And I know every inflection, I know every line, but to see the lighting, and it was, you know, high def, good projection, good sound system, that was a, a thing that I was not expecting to come out of this movie was, like, as a little extra benefit. I mean, was... Uh, I mean the the lighting on the on some of those shots. I mean, it looks really cool to see those colors in, in a theater. I mean, was was uh, was that something you were noticing when you were cutting it together? Just just uh, you know how neat some of that original footage can be in a theater context.
2: Yeah, the the film. I mean, they shot it on thirty five originally. Um, I believe we have Dave Zapone here, by the way. He's the producer on the show. He just walked in, and he's our Star Trek walking encyclopedia. I may be referring to him occasionally for technical support. Dave, I believe they shot it on 35, is that not correct? That is correct. And who was the cinematographer, uh, Dave? Uh, Jerry Finnerman. Jerry Finnerman, right, okay. Yes, he was new on the job, he was experimenting a lot, they told him to use uh, a lot of color on the show. Color had just come in in 66, all three networks were finally broadcasting all their primetime schedule in color, that was the first year. Uh, And it was kind of a breakthrough, really, for television. And it just, he did a wonderful job because it's so rich, the film is so rich, and so it's so wonderful to see it on the big screen.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the benefits. I mean, like you say, this movie is going to make the film festival circuit for a while and, um, you know, eventually come out. You know, by the time this airs, we'll probably know more about that. Um, Definitely something that fans should, you know, not wait for the Blu-ray, not wait to stream it. Get their, get their butts to the theater and, and go watch it because uh, you know it's, it's a unique trip to see it in that context. Um, the other thing that I was really taken with is that it is, and you, it's funny, the, the movie is in a way self-referential because it opens with this is not going to be a movie about X, it's going to be a movie about Y. Originally it was going to be about the character of Spock and then you realize that you have an insight into this that no one else has. And then, of course, your father passes away. Um, so it becomes a movie about making the movie in a way, which I which was really touching because I honestly felt at the end of the movie, and I, you know, I know more than the common man about, about you, about your family, as weird as that is. Um, I know a lot about your father, but by the end of the movie, I really felt like I, I don't want to say part of the family because that's overstating it, but I felt like I really know a lot about your struggles, his struggles, your whole family's struggles, and it was really very touching. I mean, I was, I guess in a way, surprised because there are a lot of movies about being a fan of Star Trek that are just, you know, fun and funny. And certainly this is fun and funny, but this was really quite touching. And I would imagine, I would imagine that was your intention going in.
2: Well, the intention going in it was different from what the end product turned out to be. In part because going in, we were, I was working with my dad, and we wanted to make a Spock doc. Just Spock. Mm. Uh, that was going to be the focus. In fact, dad was very concerned that it not be the Leonard Nimoy show. He really wanted to keep the fans focused on the character um, and really, really in great detail kind of explore about Spock and how he came about, how he was created, how he evolved and why he resonates with so many people for so many years. And, um, and that was our initial intention after my dad passed away there was such a, a response to the loss of not only Spock but Leonard Nimoy the artist the, the humanitarian yeah. um, that we it was clear we wanted to we needed to expand the film to include more of his life and legacy as well which just seemed fitting and appropriate to pay tribute to him as well as to Spock and yet still service you know keep it still Spock centric but try to find a balance between the two yeah and then in that journey of exploring my dad's life and legacy, my story started to get become more apparently intertwined with that. And there was a chorus of people. Uh, Dave, the exec producer on this, Dave Zepone, is you know uh, spearheading all that. That I should in sort of include my own perspective, my own story, my my family perspective on that, and how it kind of impacted all of us because. You know, we are just an American family, you know, uh, born of immigrant... You know, my father's the son of immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. We're ju- I'm only second generation. Um, but we we went through uh, an incredible time, an incredible evolution. I mean, Spock had a profound effect on us. And so... And it had a big effect on my relationship with my dad. So we tried to... You know, the focus then turned into intertwining these three elements, Spock, Leonard, and and myself and the family, and myself and my dad. Yeah.
1: Were, were, were you surprised by the... Outpouring of affection when he passed I mean celebrities pass away and it makes news, but this Mm. was a big deal I mean not just to me as a fan. I noticed I was able to take it. I'll tell you how I knew because um, When your father passed away, I I wrote an obit uh, for the for the Guardian which is one of the outlets I write for and then the next day um, I had to fly somewhere And I remember being at the airport and thinking to myself, when I get to the airport, I'm going to pick up a copy of, of, you know, probably the Daily News will have your father's picture on the front. I'm going to want a copy of that. And um, I was late. So I was racing to the gate and I couldn't make it. And as it happened, my phone rang and it was my mother. And I said, Hey, listen, since I got you on the phone, I'm leaving the New York area. Would you mind going to the newsstand? Uh, Because I'm 99% sure that Spock's on the cover of the Daily News. Would you mind picking it up for me? She goes, Sure. And then I get an email later and she says, Got the Daily News, got the New York Post, got the New York Times, got the Wall Street Journal, got USA Today, got the New Jersey Star-Ledger, and, and that's just here. So that was, I had a stack of six on the cover of every single paper, and that is extraordinary. And that's when I said, wow, it's not just me who's a Star Trek fanatic, it's people who you know watch the show once in a while. So it was, mm-hmm. how, was you, how did you react to that sort of? reaction
2: Well when the President of the United States issues issues his <laughs> press statement about the impact of Spock on his life, it's pretty profound. I mean we knew look we, we knew the fans were there and the family my family knew that we know that he's affected many people all over the world. but the extent and the intensity of the emotion and the outpouring and the you know the collective grief, frankly, was was a little astounding. I mean, I had people who were contacting me from elementary school. I mean, you know, everybody knew, yeah. heard the news about it, and uh, it was uh, it was overwhelming. It was a major event that we really didn't quite anticipate the magnitude of.
1: Yeah. Do you do you think your father knew when you started this documentary that he wouldn't be around to finish it or?
2: No, he had every intention of being on camera with me doing interview stuff to update everything, mm-hmm. every intention. Um, and in fact, in January, when he had a, a bad day, and probably in December we were talking about the fact that he was likely going to have to pass on any participation in the next Star Trek installment mm-hmm. um, because he, wasn't, he was fearful that he, couldn't, he wouldn't be physically be able to do it or that he wouldn't be around. Mm-hmm. So uh, 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 the, week, the next week, the following week, I was over his house, and I said, you know, we got to get a camera crew over here, like, right away. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? We have till 2016. We, we're doing this for the 50th anniversary. We have plenty of time. I said, Dad, you just said that you didn't think you are going to be around
0: yeah.
2: when, when Star Trek Beyond was going to be uh, shooting. And he said, I was just having a bad day. I'm fine. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. So that was in January, and, and eight weeks later, he was gone.
1: Wow. So I think he pr- he
2: pretty much you know, really intended to to see this thing through with me. Wow, huh? That's that's interesting. Um, so you know the the movie
1: jumps around a little bit in um, in uh, in in time, which I like. It's not as straightforward. Like here's season one of Star Trek. Here's season two. Like it jumps to the film and then it moves back a little bit to talk about the animated stuff. It talks about something you know when he's doing theater and then it pulls back it's like oh he made these albums in the 60s too which uh, which I liked as a as a way of jumping around and frankly that's how we're gonna do this interview we're gonna jump around a little bit because um, there were there were a couple of topics that came up and I forget where they were on the timeline but they stuck with me as things that was really glad that were in there and and wanted to poke you some more about so um, one thing was and I was kind of shocked that you brought up but it was so cool because it's something that um, fans kind of snicker about sometimes, was you talked about uh, slash fiction in the film? Um, and do do you know why it's called slash fiction? No, enlighten me, please. It's called slash fiction because of of it, it does it has its roots in Star Trek. It has its roots in the relationship. The alleged relationship or the sort of joking relationship, or maybe it's true, I don't know, uh, between Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. And um, when people in the early days were writing about this, pre internet and early internet days, as like kind of a secret code, it would be called K slash right. S. Yes. That and idea. that has yeah. extended to. Frodo and Sam from Lord of the Rings and whatever you want it to be yeah. Um, yeah. and in fact it used to only be about same-sex relationships now slash fiction is just whenever you imagine two characters that you love having a relationship which is right funny silly I don't think you know I once did an interview with uh with William Shatner and brought it up and he he laughed, but he didn't want to discuss it. He's like, "Yeah, people, 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 say anything next." You know, just mm-hmm. didn't want to get into it.
2: Wasn't offended. Mm-hmm. When did you discover this? Uh, I discovered it about a year ago when I was doing research and just going, you know, looking through Wikipedia, link to link to link, <laughs> link on everything Star Trek. And then this, there was this link, and it was this, this article was pages long. Yeah, because it began early on in the seventies, and and it you know, and it said that it was kind of the the, you know, the, the progenitor of this whole, uh, you know, genre, really, it was, the, it was the original. And it just kind of fascinated me. And um, the more I read about it, and there was a Time Magazine article that also commented on it. Um, and then I saw the YouTube video, some of which we, we have in the movie. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought it was very, it, it, it interested me in respect of that these guys are a model relationship. Mm-hmm. That they're they're close together. They're they've gone through so much together. They watch each other's backs. They have had uh, internal conflict. They've had ex- external conflict between the two of them. They've resolved their conflict. You know, they they just continue on as a couple. And the fact that they both happen to be men is sort of irrelevant to me. It's yeah. just that they were they have a really strong bonded relationship, and I think it's a model for people.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you know, to some it's it's a goof. Like there's. There's one famous episode where uh, you know uh, Spock's rubbing his back or something, and then there's another episode where somebody makes a comment that seems a little lewd, and they 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 you know they glance at each other, and it's it's funny. But for others, they've you know in their in their time off, they've written these fantasies, and some of them are a little bit more um, risque than others. But uh, you know, <laughs> harmless fun, I would imagine, and uh, you know, it's 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 a testament to the characters that that people can project whatever they want you know onto that I suppose you know so that was that was kind of a neat a neat moment in the in the film uh, the other thing was uh, learning about how in your father's uh, uh, early years after the service when he was a struggling actor um, one of his odd jobs was installing fish tanks yeah. does that mean does that mean that you had a great fish tank growing up I mean did he get access to uh,
2: you did? We had fish tanks all the time <laughs> since I was a baby. We, we every, Yeah, we always every house we moved into there was a fish tank. Was that like a, a thing that he loved to do? Like
1: they say it's very calming. It's something really to watch, you know, to it watch is, fish. It's and,
2: fantastic. I mean, they, they, they're high maintenance. I mean, you have to really, you know, keep an eye on those things. But um, they're fun to have. It's fun to collect fish and see how they interact. It's great to just, you know, um, it's great to just sit back and burn one down and <laughs>
1: <laughs> watch the fish, watch the fish. <laughs>
2: well, well it's funny you should put
1: it in those terms because something else that you mentioned in the film was when you and your when you were in college you were uh you traveled with the grateful dead
2: well i didn't travel you were with them
1: well, you, i, fo- I you followed, followed them. them yes you yeah. if they were playing in berkeley you went and then if they were playing in sacramento the next night you got in the vw microbus and went to sacramento and
2: what, so w- during which time period was this? 70? This is the se- all the 70s, really. The, uh, starting in 73, and yeah. right through that decade, which is really the defining decade for that band. It's when they really came to their oh, fore. Yeah.
1: Did you see them in 77? I saw them in seventy seven. So that was the best year. In May of seventy seven, the be- this would be East Coast concerts though. Did you make it to the Florida show? No, and the- no,
2: no, no. I was I was oh, it was man. all California. Well, oh, it was, yeah. I mean the home that's the home turf. But yeah, yeah. I mean I was in school. I, I needed to pay attention to my stuff. <laughs> Literally I had friends in Portland uh, who who told me that they had they had a ticket for me. They had a uh, to the show. They had a hotel f- uh, room for me, and they had a tab of acid for me. All I needed was a plane ticket to get up there. Oh man! And I, I didn't go. I was in school. mean sure. You know, it's like I, I, there there has to be some limits, and I had goals and objectives in my life. All right, all right. You see, but still, you were at the shows, the local shows, and uh, yeah,
1: no, the seventy seven gigs in what is it? The f- most famous one is in um, where's where's Cornell University upstate. Um, Oh, man, I can't remember, man. Um, upstate New York, Cornell University, uh, that town, Ithaca, New York, thank you, is where uh, in 77 and then down in Florida, um, uh, whatever, that whole stretch, May 77 happened to be when Star Wars was coming out. Everything was happening at once, in May 77. But uh, yeah, what I wouldn't give to see some of those shows, of course, if you were there, you can't fully remember them, but uh, you remember- no, of course not. <laughs> we were impaired.
2: You still go see music live or um oh yeah oh sure oh yeah i'm always going to music live yeah. and, and now you know it's so interesting because uh justin kreuzman who's the son of bill Kreutzman, the drummer for the dead yeah is a big fan of spock and he and i have bonded because we're both kids of celebs sure and, yeah and he's always inviting me to events you know dead you know the the remnants of the dead i was at the fair the well concerts last summer no as joke. his guest and It's just, you know, I mean, I love the band. And and, uh, Mickey Hart was a huge fan of my dad. And and the other interesting thing that we, that uh, didn't make the movie, but there was a little, um, there was an interesting story about my dad once asked me if I knew who Owsley Stanley was. (laughs) And, you know, my dad and I had a lot of conflict about my love of the dead. And I I wasn't sure where the conversation was going. I was getting very nervous about why he was asking me about Owsley Stanley. Owsley Stanley, of course, recorded The Dead early on and mixed up a lot of their LSD. Right. To, to, to,
1: to those who don't know and are about to hit Wikipedia, Owsley was um, an, an absolute innovator in uh, sound technology. He created what was called the Wall of Sound, which was the very specific um, amplification system the Grateful Dead used. That was, and, and also the way they recorded their stuff. The reason we have some of these tapes from the 60s and 70s was because of him. He had a special soundboard. That was his day job. His night job was he basically invented the modern strain of, of hallucinogenic drugs and he was eventually arrested for this, right? I think so, I don't know, or he I had to go on the lam.
2: So why was he asking you? If my dad was asking me because I think there was actually an ob- obit in the Times oh, that see. my dad had read about Alice Lee. I think he got in a car accident several years ago and uh, I said yeah well why are you asking he said because he was in my acting class no joke his acting my dad taught acting from roughly 60 to right up till Star Trek around 65 66 and and Owsley was in his class and in fact he said that Owsley came up to him one day and said I'm going to be leaving class because I'm going to be working with this rock band in San Francisco
1: <laughs> wow See, that's funny because, you know, your, your father is a 60s icon and his, the ideals of Spock, uh, you know, the, the sort of the philosophy of Spock is, to me, anyhow, in touch with the counterculture. But I don't consider him a countercultural dude. You know, the, the part of this is in the movie, how, how your mom said, look, we got to dress you a little cooler. You know, he put on the ascot of the scarf and some of the paisley shirts but you know his music, you know he, the albums he put out. You, you refer to them as like Charles Aznavour style, which is a, a very, um, uh, very nice way of putting it. That's it's a so it's a, the way a son looks at a father. You know, it's very, very loving. Yes, we'll put it in the Charles Aznavour group, but but not particularly hip. You know, not not. Not the dead, not not uh, not the vanilla fudge or whatever else was going on at that time. Was he a countercultural dude? I mean, or was he straight? No, you know, he so was
2: not, interestingly enough. Um, he really was just not that uh, aware of what was going on with the counterculture as much as... And again, he didn't really have the time because he was yeah. so invested in Star Trek. It was so time demanding and he was so focused on his career. My mother, however, was really a, a kind of a, even though it wasn't really her generation, she was a flower child. I mean, we had flowers all over our house. They were mostly dead flowers, like dried flowers and flowered stickers on everything. Mm. She was a flower child, and she dressed that way. And in fact, my mother is the one, she was, she was listening to Cream when my dad was listening to Charles Aznavour. <laughs> and my mother insisted and took us to the Cream Farewell concert at the Forum in 68, which was, one, I mean, we, we, we were like right in front of them.
1: No joke. We had
2: incredible uh, house seats in front of the band, and it blew my mind. That was all my mother. Really? Wow. That's
1: fascinating. Fascinating, as they'd say. Um, be, you know, it's funny because the 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 image of your dad with with in the movie. There's one shot of him with this like amazing paisley shirt, and uh, that's when it hit me. It's like you know. You know there are these there are these touchstones of the 60s that aren't anti the counterculture but aren't aligned with it either you know it's like the James Bond stuff I mean it's sort of you know it's a little hedonistic but it's not like in any way radical left or anything like that so what politically was he on the left or I would
2: politically would he, be, per- would,
1: would he be rooting for Bernie Sanders right now or
2: uh? Uh, well that's a tough call <laughs> I think mean, he's got a lot of allegiance to Hillary just because of past history mm. have, having supported the Clintons but I um, my parents were very politically active they were very anti-war mm. they took us to a lot of demonstrations we went to candlelight candlelight vigils at UCLA campus they were heavy supporters of Eugene McCarthy in the peace movement in 68 mm-hmm. and I um, they were they were just very they were very left-wing active you know politically they're definitely um um heavy in that respect um they my dad actually campaigned i think 35 states for george mcgovern in 72 on a peace platform as well so um that kind of gives you the sense of where he was coming from
1: yeah um not not too surprising to hear that um the something that that was that was not in the film but I remember from uh, the last time we spoke uh, when we were talking about this was I think after Star Trek was canceled and before uh, he was kicking off into theater uh, work again he bought a pet store or he he, he he was the figurehead of a pet store, or what, did he actually own it? Or yeah, it was, can you can you remind me that the pet store story? And there's a, a picture floating around of him with just like an orangutan.
2: Or, or am I am I imagining that? Part? No, you're not. You're okay. not okay. hallucinating, Jordan. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was uh, Leonard Nimoy's pet pad. I believe it was during the Mission Impossible years. Okay, there was a really good friend of my mother's li- living out in Canoga Park, and she was an animal fanatic, and she approached him about the idea. And and I think it was on uh, Topanga Canyon Boulevard, I believe, in in Canoga, uh, where they got the storefront. And we and my sister and I were involved in in building this, putting this thing together. We were painting cinder blocks, and we had a whole aquarium wall, you know, to satisfy my dad. And uh, there were a lot of exotic pets and a lot of pet supply stuff. And Leonard Nimoy's pet pad was born. Uh, and it was a kind of a, it was a great, uh, wonderful, exciting moment for us. And it was just a of pure fun. Yeah. But, but the friend who ran the store didn't have the business acumen to really keep it going. And it drove my dad crazy because he's a complete business He's a numbers guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my dad didn't have much formal education, but he could crunch numbers. Like it was unbelievable what he could do. He really understood business. His business manager used to say he was one of the only one client of his in Hollywood who really understood what he was doing in terms of investing. <laughs> so it drove him insane. And finally, he he basically sold the store to her and let her continue to run it for a while. I and mean, then it oh, finally closed.
1: But for X amount of time, and you, you could, you know, did you have access to
2: cool animals whenever you wanted to hang around with a... Yeah, when we were out, out there in Canoga Park, my mother would take us out there and we would hang around the store and we would help them out a little bit and clean it up. And... And yeah, sit with the with the spider monkey, you know, and the and the uh, uh, you know the the raccoons, and we had there was an elephant there the opening day, and there was a lot of exotic stuff there that we really had no business being there. Awesome,
1: you know that that's you know you mentioned your father's sort of business sense, and I think this this came across in the film how he grew up poor, you know, his parents were immigrants, and he um, never wanted to have a situation where he couldn't provide for the family. But that took its toll because working on a show back then was incredible hours, and then on the weekends he was doing public appearances, mm-hmm. and um, there would be whole stretches of time when you never saw him, and yet all your school friends loved him dearly because he was Mister Spock, mm-hmm. and there were stretches of time when it was like, hey, you know, I, uh, you're seeing this guy as much as I am right now. You know, it's uh, yeah. That would, were you were you hesitant to put that aspect of your story in the film, or I mean, because that's
2: no, I think that's you know, I think it's 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 an honest and a common, I think, um, casualty of being in a celebrity family. Uh, it's one of the it's just one of the challenges that we have to deal with, um, and uh, it's I think it's just a common situation to be in, and it's, it really applies to anybody who has a parent. Who is very successful in whatever endeavor they're involved in. It's mm. just time demanding. These things are across the board, and that's why it's so interesting that people come up to me and say, Oh, my dad was a stockbroker and I never saw him. And he, and he had, you know, he was a legend on Wall Street and everybody knew him, and everybody, you know, hung out with him and, and uh and, and that kind of thing, but that they had very little relationship with him because he was so invested in his work. That's a very common situation. Mm. My father
1: worked from home. I saw him more than enough. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm, if he's listening, I saw him the perfect amount of time. So let's talk a little bit about the film here. Um, there, you, you interviewed, you know, you, you, get, you had um, interactions in the film from everybody you, one would want and one would expect. Mr. William Shatner shows up, uh, Walter Koenig, um, Nichelle. Uh, and then there's like one or two people you're like, Hey, who? who Jason Alexander, who, wh- what's this guy doing? I mean, not that we don't want to see him and he does a pretty good impression of Captain Kirk giving the risk is our
2: business speech. How did, how did he show? Was he like your neighbor? You like this guy or? No, you... I, uh, Jason and I, uh, he was an acquaintance really. I mean, he helped me out with some fundraising at my kids public school when they were in elementary school. And I knew he was a fan, and I asked him for a Seinfeld script signed, and he was happy to to provide one for me. And and, and in the phone conversation I had with him, he told me about his love of Trek and, and Spock. And and I knew he was friends with Bill Shatner. And he's just been he's been on, you know, Howard Stern, and he's just a he's one of the most high profile Trek fans uh around. And I just thought it made sense to because we're trying to the film is trying to give some sense of why the 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 trek and spock has resonated and just keeps rolling on particularly in popular culture mm-hmm. so that's why we had this focus on the big bang theory and i right. wanted jason right. to come in because he's like a younger generation who is you know has been a big part of popular culture and and he's just perpetuating the whole thing he's yeah. you know he's one of these guys so i thought it might be interesting to get him in a chair and to see what he had to say
1: yeah no it was great to see him and also Um, you talk about the fans. I mean, you you, you did a whole uh, segment uh, at the convention, the Vegas convention last year, which is where you and I first met, and um, talked to fans there. And that was, uh, you know, your first time, not your first time at a convention, but your first time mixing it up with the fans, I would imagine. We walked, Mm -hmm. you and I, the merch room. Mm -hmm. uh, We looked at, you know, dinnerware with paintings of your father on it. And you know, you said a very uh, political thing. I, I, there was something that looked kind of, it was a pretty dumb piece of memorabilia. And I said, what do you think of this? And he said, uh, whenever my father was confronted with something like that, he would say, ah, yes, an excellent likeness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a yo-yo star, you know, Spock yo-yos. <laughs> was that your first time being inundated in a, in a merch room like that to see just the, the wall of merchandise with... Uh, Star Trek stuff on it. Well, P.S. Which we love, by the way. I mean, for this, I mean, mind you, I'm collect. I have a whole room dedicated to this crap, you know. But uh. mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Uh, well, it was the first Vegas convention I had been to. The first of the of the major, this You know, it's kind of the mecca of yeah. conventions. I was at the Chicago convention in 2011, where my dad did his farewell appearance to the fans. Uh, I was at that one, um, but I'd never really gone uh, to other conventions. I, that was really the first time I had really. Kind of spent a lot of time several days kind of you know kind of experiencing what it's all about and meeting with the fans and going through the merch room um, and getting on stage and and talking with Adam Allen who who hosts the convention so that was it was kind of a new experience for me
1: yeah and it's uh it's 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 fun you can see why people would you go once and you think all right I went once we' like no I had a really good time last summer I want to go again you know it's uh you know and there's multiple ones maybe you don't go to vegas you go to the one in in uh you know the secaucus or something but you know there's 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 good times to be had um your interaction with with star trek uh is is um is is not only through your father it's it's yourself as well you of course did direct two episodes of the next generation these were not Bobo episodes. These were season six episodes. These were dynamite episodes. You know, I think were they? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Timescapes and Rascals with right. the, with the little kids. Yeah. Do you want to reflect at
2: all on, on that? Can I? It was a long time ago, right? Yeah. Well, they were my first jobs in the industry, and it, and uh, it made sense. I mean, I had been apprenticing uh, with Nick Meyer on Star Trek Six on um, What it meant to be directing, uh, and I was on. What, what did you,
1: when you say you were with, you were apprenticing? You were just. You I was. Just I was a Gopher,
2: basically. <laughs> Nick would say, you know, there's there's a there's a tin of uh, there's a cigar tin in my trailer, and in that tin are some cigars. Get me one. That's what. I, that's, but
1: in between that, pearls of wisdom just of flo- floating uh, constantly,
2: you know, just, just yeah. No, notes. it was a great experience yeah. watching Nick and. Um, you know, my uh, dad helped me secure that position with him, and uh, Nick is an incredible writer, and, and he did a great job on that film, and I learned a lot hanging around just to see how movies are made. And then I spent an entire season on The Next Generation, watching their directors. Oh, really? Oh Yeah, okay. yeah entire yeah. season, Yeah. just watching how it's done. And finally, Rick Berman gave me my shot, and uh, I directed a couple episodes for them. Very difficult, very challenging. I mean, Kids and Animals, by the way,
1: right your first one and i believe it's your first tv credit period was the episode rascals and they say don't work with kids and the first thing you do is work with kids right very challenging way to to go (laughs) yeah i
2: know very very challenging um but i had a lot of help a lot of support from the crew and i love next generation i mean i really got to know those people very well um very very difficult challenging work particularly in season six because they they've done it they they you know they've been in it they're it's, it's getting a little old sometimes, um, it's, it's just, uh, it's a real challenge for a newcomer to come in and try to create something.
1: Well, in the episode Timescapes, it's one of uh, Picard's great line readings, really. I mean, in the, if, if you were to do the list, and I'm surprised I haven't written it yet on One Trek Mind on StarTrek.com, uh, Picard's funniest moments, he's, he's talking about the professor. That he spoke to when he's talking in one long unbroken sentence. I mean, Patrick Stewart is, uh, mm-hmm. but you say by season six he he was sort of he, he did it. You know, he didn't.
2: Well, any any uh, group of people who are on a show that long have, um, it, you know, it's it, you really have to find ways to keep them energized and and uh, and creative and and challenged. You know, it's really important to do that. It's and. And when I was more seasoned as a director, I had those tools to do that. Mm. But um, very difficult for a first-time director to come into that situation because I can't tell them anything. really can't talk about character. They know their character. Yeah. There's nothing I can really bring to that. All I can do is try to bring some visual sense mm. and, and some very tight storytelling. On a, on a
1: very rapid uh, timetable because I'll show eight-day like, shoot, yeah. and you're gone. But You know it's funny. what you just mentioned is something that J.J Abrams says in your film, which is when JJ was directing your father, he, he said to you, "What the hell am I gonna t- how I'm gonna tell Leonard Nimoy how to how to be Spock?" Mm-hmm. You gotta be kidding me! Mm-hmm. I mean, he could do 100 other things, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which which I thought was was, was pretty funny. Um, so listen, I you know we're we're just about running out of time, and we're here at uh, 35. But there's a couple of, two uh, what few little things I wanted to mention? Number one, um, weird trivia your um, stepmother who makes an appearance in the film and is discussed in a in a, in a you know lovely manner um, she's michael bay's cousin or something like this or once removed yes once re- have no. you met have you met the dude ever or no no oh okay i thought no. maybe that there was you know the big no. seder or something where everybody got together but no okay it seems like a nice guy i don't know i was just but that is a, a weird for those who like to do um, bar trivia there is a connection between uh, Leonard Nimoy and Michael Bay from two ways. Mm-hmm. There's the, 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 the relationship, but also, of course, your father voiced Galvatron in Transformers, the movie. Correct. Michael Bay directs yep. the Transformers movies, and uh, there you go. We just got a free drink at the bar. The music, I thought you were joking, last night you're like i want to thank my composer he's here tonight his name was pike by the way which i thought was funny captain yeah. pike christopher yeah. michael uh Steven, nicholas nicholas pike and uh, you said he composed the score on his home recording kit the demo whatever it sounded great and he said to you adam there's one place we gotta go and that's the macedonian radio symphony or the symphony orchestra of macedonian radio or whatever it was but that's true. That's actually who recorded it, right? Or were, were you kidding? I don't even... I'm No, no, no.
2: That was true. No. Uh, what is the name of the, the group that recorded it?
1: It's, it's the Macedonian Radio
2: Philharmonic.
1: There you go. There you go. And they're in Macedonia?
2: They're in Macedonia. <laughs> and you... They did not come to L.A. You did not go to... No, this is yeah. a way, that the point was that Nicholas had created about half of his score was orchestral in nature, mm. which is, in Star Trek, tradition, yeah. really, he's just following tradition. And we were listening to it on his, his sound system in his studio at home, and he said, you know, you can get away with this, it's going to be fine, but if you really want to blow people out of their seats, we should hire an orchestra. And there are these Eastern European orchestras who are very talented people sure. and who are, are very inexpensive to hire. And you can see what you're getting because of the Skype connection. I mean, before Skype they weren't able to do this, but now it's very commonplace to hire these orchestras. And the Prague Philharmonic is the same way. Mm. They're very inexpensive ways to get a 60-piece orchestra to play your orchestral score for your film.
1: So now we have a connection between Star Trek and
2: Macedonia that we didn't have earlier. And we have your film to thank for it. Well, I got to tell you, the composer Oleg—I think his name was—at <laughs> the end of it turned around to the Skype camera and gave us the Spock salute. Oh, that's
1: well, fabulous! Well, that's great. Cool. Well, listen, you know, let's let's leave it on that uh, on that note. Um, but uh, you know, now it's, like I said, it's mid-April right now. The movie just premiered last night. Tomorrow, you're doing a chat with Zach Quinto who we didn't even talk about, but he's in the film as well. And, and it's funny, because you save him to the end. You talk to everybody else from the new movie, Chris Pine, um, Simon Pegg is very... Simon Pegg's always very funny, but he Simon Pegg brings the house down with a couple of lines. And I'm thinking, what, is Quinto not in the movie? How is Quinto not in the movie? And then the third act, uh, you know, and it's very touching, what he has to say. And and he he and your father really did become friendly. It was not just a contractual friendship. they were They were chums, you know? I mean... And you, you, I would imagine, got close to him as
2: well, or...? Well, n- I mean, not really that much. I mean, they were, I mean, I think Zach is based in New York, and they spent most time together here in, in the city. But, um, but I got to know Zach a little bit uh, over time, and uh, they just had a really beautiful relationship, frankly. I mean, I think Zach also looked at my dad as a father figure. Mm. Uh, and my dad was a very different person at that stage in his life, frankly, uh, once he and I... Kind of recoalesced, and our relationship got better, um, and his career started to wane, and he was really in the third act of his life. My dad was very focused on family, so um, he, you know, he was a great guy to be around. He was much more relaxed, very confident with himself, and Zach. Um, lost his dad at a very early age. And I think the two just kind of really, it just, they had a really great relationship. And I, it was something that for, there was a second of twinge of jealousy <laughs> in, in the connection that they had made. But then it was very quickly became apparent to me that they had a really, it was a very loving and a beautiful connection of passing this torch to another generation. I mean, yeah, Zach is beautifully yeah. carrying on this tradition of Spock.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, yes, there's going to be a, uh, a chat between the two of you uh, tomorrow at some point, and then the film will show a few more times during the Tribeca mm-hmm. slate. And um, as of right now, are there uh, other festivals where it's anna- has yet to be announced? or it's uh... Uh,
2: At the moment, uh, we are going to be probably exhibiting the film and other Trek-related events coming up, okay. but that remains to be seen, and we will... As we move along, yes. I will certainly keep you informed as sure. to where we're going to be. Cool.
1: So, other Trek-related events, possibly other festivals, and then eventually theaters, and then certainly home video, uh, streaming. Sure. Uh, you could you could buy it and buy one for you, buy one for your family. There's a whole a lot, a lot of opportunities. But in all, in all sincerity, no 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 Star Trek fan, no one listening, no one who bothered to listen to minute forty of this podcast will watch this movie and not be moved. I mean, that's just all there is to it. This is something that fans must see, and this is something for people who are, you know, Star Trek light, you know, I think would still be quite touched by as well. It's a very moving portrait of a father and son and a celebrity that we all know, and, and a lot of great clips, you know? Cool stuff to watch, it's, it's a great thing. So, a round of applause for the love of Spock. And but listen, uh, and uh, one thing that we got to go because as you know, this is still early days for the podcast mm-hmm. and uh, early days with special guests you're you're one of our first. Um, we're still looking for benedictions from people in the Star Trek world to bless this podcast as it journeys forth into the galaxy. if there's any sort of special saying that a Vulcan would say to the podcast as if it were a sentient being, what would that Vulcan say?
2: He would say, Vulcans never bluff. (laughs) No, that that same would be, Jordan, live long and prosper. Thank you very
1: much. I appreciate it. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational.
1: We're traveling forward in time. We're re-emerging from the past. Whoa. Well, that was nice. That was nice. Adam Nimoy blessed the show. He gave us a Vulcan benediction. And... um. Uh, we're now back in time it's now no longer April I don't have to wear a coat I can go out wearing short pants because it's warm weather here in New York and uh, in the interview that I'm sure you were listening to very attentively but not too attentively if you were driving I don't want to be responsible for anything like that if you're driving don't listen to me that much You know, listen to me in the background if you're driving um, but uh, if you listened uh, I referenced um, the day Leonard Nimoy passed away last year and uh, writing a, uh, an obituary. No, I don't even want to call it an obituary. Writing my thoughts um, about Leonard uh, for The Guardian. And I am going... Rather than you have to go and Google it and read it, I'm going to read it to you. Which is something you should never do on a podcast, is read something written because it's boring. But I'm going to do it anyway, because it's for Leonard. And I think, it's, I think I think it's emotional, and I think that you'll like it. And emotions are actually... What Spock was all about in a weird way. Whoa. This blew your mind. Um, But we'll talk about that more some more later. So here we go. Um, I wrote this about, you know, 20 minutes after I learned that he died, I wrote this. Um, And it is called, To a Star Trek fan like me, Leonard Nimoy meant everything. 27th of uh, February, 2015. If you were a kid who liked Star Trek in the mid-1980s, it was something you kept to yourself. I don't know how a major franchise, a huge source of revenue for large entertainment conglomerates, could also be a secret shame, but it was. If you liked that, quote, gay show with cheap sets, as one of my tormentors put it, you weren't sitting at this lunch table. No way. And when you have to go back to school each day and face the kids who laugh at you, as all kids laugh at all kids, but some more than others, you need to find a coping strategy. Mr. Spock, the greatest thing about the best fictional universe ever created had the solution right there in his very first scene. After hearing the term irritated, he gives a puzzled look. Then, spoken at a distance, a revelation. Ah, yes. One of your Earth emotions. Laugh at us all you want, but we Star Trek fans, we're operating on a different level. My mother, who referred to the show as Star Drek would snap off the TV and tell me to do my homework, that there was always a red alert, and if, as if daring me, said that no, there are no careers in watching Star Trek. She admitted defeat when I started writing the One Trek Mind column on Star StarTrek.com and began hosting panels at Star Trek conventions. And now I'm doing this podcast. And she just called to say that she was sorry about the passing of Dr. Spock. And I'll never quite know if that famous malapropism was intentional on her behalf. In 2007, I went to the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas with a videographer who had never seen an episode. Uh, He'd heard the title, but couldn't even name any of the captains. I got the clear sense that his ignorance was deliberate and proud, but when he saw a poster with Leonard Nimoy and his pointy ears, even he couldn't keep up the charade. Oh yeah, that's Spock. That's an icon. Indeed. Chaplin's Tramp... Nimoy's ears to argue which has a greater impact would be illogical the stories of how Nimoy personally tweaked the character of Spock to perfection have been told numerous times he felt slugging a villain was too boorish so he suggested an alternate an alternative that became the Vulcan nerve pinch that would be episode one uh episode five of season one the enemy within But we all know that the best use was in Season 1, Episode 23, A Taste of Armageddon. Uh, The Vulcan salute, first seen when Spock is greeted by the High Priestess T'Pau in Season 2, Episode 1, Amok Time, was something Nimoy cribbed from seeing as a child in Orthodox synagogues. But beyond these factoids is the sense that Nimoy through his association with the character, was a living representation of the utopia that Star Trek represented. Unlike his lovable comrade William Shatner goofing around on horseback, Nimoy appealed to the audience's more cerebral side. For post-Trek trash television I'll take In Search Of over Rescue 911 any day. And Nimoy took us in stride. In his two autobiographies, he joked how scientists at NASA and JPL would want to show him their latest work, and he would nod and pretend that he knew what they were talking about, never wanting to disillusion them that he was just an actor. Famously, that first book was 1975's I Am Not Spock, the title misrepresent- misinterpreted as a diss to Star Trek fans. Really, it was a way to tell his story in comparison with that of his most famous character. This, of course, was followed up in 1995 with I Am Spock, giving us all the opportunity to say, aha, I knew it! When he died earlier this year, Nimoy was just shy of his 84th birthday. He overcame a battle with alcoholism. He had tremendous comic timing, especially since his character was supposed to show no emotion. He was a key player in the early fight against Holocaust deniers. I only met him once, for 30 seconds. I showed him my Vulcan salute, and he smiled warmly and gave me a compliment, as if every other idiot doesn't come up and do the same exact thing. How much does Nimoy mean to the hardcore Star Trek fan? Let's just say I own his albums, and sometimes, when it's just me and the quiet of night, I play them without even a plank-length worth of irony. Listen to his ode to the heavens, You Are Not Alone, and tell me it isn't a beautiful melody. Let's also just say that I haven't, I can't even think about the final scene between Nimoy and the new Spock, Zachary Quinto, at the close of J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek, without sobbing. Especially today. Spock is dead, they say. Long live Spock, and that's from uh, the twenty seventh of February, twenty fifteen. So that's how how I was feeling uh, the day that he passed, and um, and that's still how I'm feeling now. So um, listen, thanks for thanks for tuning in today. We hope you come back. We hope you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review us. Have you subscribed? Affirmative. Oh, she's subscribed. Have you subscribed?
0: Affirmative.
1: Have your friends subscribed? Ah, we want to make sure your friends can say Affirmative. that they have subscribed. You want to go to play.it slash Star Trek. You want to contact us. You can do it over Facebook at facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast. You can also contact me via Twitter using the hashtag EngagePod. Hashtag EngagePod. And you can tweet at me at Jay Hoffman. Feel free to uh, like and subscribe on me if that means anything. And um, yeah, send us your comments. And we want to know what you think of the show so far. It's early days. We're season one. We're right at the beginning. So we want to know what you think. And we will talk to you again next time.